many have heard that phrase? And they lived happily ever after. It's often found at the end of a movie or a novel. It may not be stated, but sometimes it's assumed. And uh, whether the author or the director says so, but it's translated, you know, after some drama, some pain, some adversity, everything was good from that point forth. Or nothing else happened that was worth writing about. <laughs> That's the other summation you can come. Or don't wait because there's not a sequel. Um, it won't happen because nothing much took place. But how many know life always happens? And you can have an amazing, off-the-chain, unbelievable moment, but still face adversity. You can, you know, have a great relation in one moment, but if you don't take care of it, if you don't look after it, if you don't nurture it, it can turn into a horrible mess. And we know that the happily ever after isn't real life. At least if you have a real relationship, not an imaginary one, you'll know it. <laughs> But if we're to be honest, there's something inside each and every one of us that, that clings to that hope. And, and somehow we think in our heads that, that our relationship is the exception. It's going to be the exception. After all, we love one another and we've found our soulmates. And, you know, every, every relationship thinks it oh, thinks you know, like that when it starts off. In fact, you know, having been in ministry a long time now and work with a lot of young adults and youth, everybody when they get together thinks they have the perfect relationship. Oh man, we've got the perfect relationship. And you often talk to couples and you say, well, what, what do you want to do long term? Oh, we just want to help other couples out in their relationships. I go, that's cool. That's really cool. But I often say, hey, until you've been married 10 years and you had a couple of kids, shut your mouth. Because <laughs> how many know you have nothing to say? You, know, you have no authority in every relationship. You know, we'll go through some stuff. I talked about last week that you go through the valley of Acor, and, and there's To know God is to know love, and, and we're going to get a, a more mature uh, perspective or understanding on love. I, I like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. He says, when I was a child, we all were that once. When I was a child, I, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. 
But when I became a man or a woman, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Now, in other words, I, I grew up. Now, now, 1 Corinthians 13 is a well-known passage of Scripture. It often gets read out at weddings. It's known as the love chapter. And in a lot of places, it, it defines what love is. And Paul said, hey, I'm, I'm going to put away childhood notions of love. When I was a child, I talked about love like a child talks about love. I thought about love like a, a child thinks about love. I, I dreamed and fantasized what love would be like, uh, but, but that was in a, a childhood way. Now, I'm going to put some of those childhood ideas of love behind me. And, and then Paul you know, concludes a, a famous bit of teaching you know, where he comes in and he, and he unpacks you know, what, what love is. Uh, when we do that, you know, we've got to abandon the storybook assumptions. You know, too many of us have re- uh, watched too many romantic comedies. Have you noticed in romantic comedies you never see somebody doing the laundry? <laughs> you, know, you don't often see people washing the dishes. They, you know, they're always out and about. But how many know that doesn't, you know, show real life? And so often, we take the highlights of another person's life and think that's all of their life. It's like somebody goes on holiday and drip feeds their holiday photos on Instagram. And you think they're constantly on holiday. They're at the beach and you're in your office, it's cold. And you're thinking, they have an awesome life and my life sucks. No, they're just drip feeding you photos. That is not their life. You know, all of us have to put out the rubbish. All of us have to do certain things. And, and so often we're comparing you know, other people's highlights to, a, to our behind-the-scenes story. And we're thinking, well, is this what love is? You know, there's some work involved. You, know, you have to negotiate who's going to do the dishes, who's going to put out the rubbish. You know, you know, love, it's a big subject. Have the truth be no, I, I feel underqualified to even talk about it. Being married 24 years, but I, I'm still growing in this understanding of, of what love is. Because how many know even unexpressed love is not love? Well, I, I love them, I love them. They should know that. I said, I do. You know what? You want more than I do. Oh, well, I'm a shy person. Well, unexpressed love is not love. There has to be an expression to love. And, and I want you to think about today as well. That, you know, aren't you amazed so many immature, how many immature adults, how, how immature adults can be when it comes to love and relationships? Could it be that's why there's so much dysfunction, hurt, abuse, and pain? I, I want to say there's, there's a love that, that can cure but today we've got grown men acting like boys and we've got grown women playing along. And when it comes to love and relationships, a lot of people are still in the playground. And in a lot of places, it, it's led to a disillusionment of a generation where many people now conclude there's no such thing as a happily ever after. But that, to an extent, is true. But I want to suggest there's another way. Another way is by letting go of our childish ways and our childish approach to relationship. To quote your mum, it's time to grow up. I turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to grow up. 
So we looked at Paul's conclusion. Now we're going to rewind to his commentary on love. His letter to Christians in Corinth, a, a city in ancient Greece. He gives a, a beautiful, exhaustive explanation of how genuine, real love behaves. Now, now these words I, I said are familiar. And uh, uh, Paul gives uh, love a detailed commentary. In fact, some of these thoughts are from Andy Stanley's uh, series on love, dates, and heartbreaks. And, uh, you know, just unpacking this whole area of love. And, and one thing is, you know, Paul's saying, come on, we're going to make love a verb, a, a, a doing word. And, and, and Paul's about to break down love into a whole lot of verbs. You know, we grow up dreaming about it, how, how you know, the person we fell in love would make us feel. And, and Paul's about to point us in a different direction. Uh, for, for you romantics out there, don't worry. There's good news. Uh, when, when two people love like Paul suggests, uh, the result is romance. You know, romance isn't fueled by experience. That's what the world would say. Well, you know, you just need to experience. Go out and try before you buy, you know, experience. No, romance is fueled by exclusivity. It's fueled by that. You know, if somebody says, I love you, you know, you're amazing then. And then two minutes later, they say it to another person, how does that make you feel? You know, a romance is fueled by, by exclusivity, and it's only this approach to love that, that ultimately can be, bring the feelings that satisfy the longing of our hearts. Uh, you've got to understand, there's, there's a cause and there's an effect to love, and when people are, uh, both people are prepared to do a little bit of causing, they'll experience a little bit of effect, a little affecting or affection. When two people put the others first, something powerful transpires. You know, if you like, 1 Corinthians 13 is the fine print to love. I mean, no, it pays to read the fine print. Especially when it comes to love. Because the fine print makes you fine. Yeah, it makes you, oh, or a snack, or... I don't know if I used that in the right thing I heard. Don't believe me if I got the definition wrong, but somebody said that's what people say today. And, and a snack, a snack. Uh, that sounds like something you eat, though. A snack is something you eat and goes through your digestive tract and, and comes out the other. No. Uh, okay, we won't go there, but you know, even the fact that we're quite a snack, what is that? I don't know. It's like, hey. But Paul's about to give a, a grown-up version of what love is. So if you've got a Bible, let's go. 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 4, it says, Love is... Anybody know? Love is... Love is... It does not... It does not... It is not... It does not... It is not... It is not easily... It keeps no record of... Love does not... But rejoices. It always, 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 always. Love. That was the best Bible reading ever. There's some Bible reading goals right there. There's some love goals right there too. We want to master the art of love. You know, we need to understand this. 
If you understand this, you're good to go. And if you find somebody else who's good looking and who has mastered it, you probably have you ever happily ever after. End of my message. No. <laughs> Some of you are saying that's full on. That, that's really full on. I could never be all of that. Well, here's the deal. If you go through that list and circle the ones that don't matter, that don't have an impact, uh, the ones that you would excuse your partner from having, which ones would you circle? What challenge me that would be hardly any. You know, the, the, the problem in a lot of places is, is we want more from a relationship than we're prepared to put in. And, and when we do that, we're in a whole lot of trouble. Now, we've been saying less, uh, love is less about finding the right person as it is becoming the right person. And if you become the right person, you attract the right people to your world. After all, you attract who you are. Now, you know things that you expect of others? Instead of highlighting them and pointing out what's missing in them, maybe they should be the things that you work on. Uh, come on, for those who are looking for someone right now, here's a good list of what to look for. You know, as we talked about last week, not just if, if they're cute and they make you laugh, you know, that's not going to pay your electricity bills. <laughs> now, now you know what, what's actually, uh, are they somebody who's loving? And, and if that's what you're going after, why not then become it? Come on, if you hope your current partner or future partner is not self-seeking, then a, a good thing for you not to be is self-seeking. Come on, if, if you hope he or she always trusts, then perhaps you should dig deep and work on your trust issues. In, in other words, become the person, the person you're looking for is looking for. I'll say that again. Become the person, the person you're looking for is looking for. Or at a minimum, don't expect more of that person than you expect of yourself. See, childish love says, I'll find someone who's as crazy about me as I am about them. And, and everything after that will just magically happen. I'll wish upon a star and we'll have an amazing relationship. But, but come on, you know better. Do impatient, here's a question. Do impatient people suddenly become patient simply because they've fallen in love? No. They exhibit patience to get what they want, but that's more predatory than patience. See, genuine patience is not a means to an end. Uh, here, here, do people with trust issues find themselves, you know, find, find themselves overcome with natural inclination with trust simply because they've met the right person? No. No, unresolved mummy-daddy issues have the power to squash the trust right out of a relationship. And that will happen within the first year. See, see people can express trust to impress but in Paul's list, trust is not a means to a selfish end. It's not that. 
So, so tonight, we're going to look at Paul's list. Okay, we're going to go only through a few because we don't have time. Okay, number one, love is... Patience. How many can be a little bit impatient from time to time? Anybody? Uh, choose to admit that. I hate even waiting for some of you to lift your hand. <laughs> you know, I, I find this one hard. But, but patience is a decision to move at someone else's pace. That's what patient is, rather than, than pressuring them to match yours. Patience is choosing to do less than you're capable of for the sake of keeping in step with somebody else. Wow. You know, have you ever been on a date and the person you're dating is a slow eater? <laughs> you know, that can be frustrating. You know, Kathy eats a lot faster now <laughs> than, than what she did when we were dating. It was like, it's like, you know, because I'm a little finishing and then I'll be trying to get, get stuff off her plate. And she's going, no, that, that's mine. And, and, you know, by the way, how many are out there who don't share their food? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how many get really mad when somebody takes something from your plate? <laughs> we might have an altar call for that a, a little bit afterwards, just saying, but... You know, you know I, I've got a problem with eat fast, but also even walking, you know, if I'm walking, you know, I'm not a power walker, but I, I like to get there. And, you know, I've had to learn to slow down because why? Love is, love is patience. You know, pace refers to a lot of things. Come on, pace of a conversation. Oh, this conversation is just going too fast. Uh, the pace of understanding, the pace of a person making a, a decision, time to process some things, the pace of getting ready to go out, wow, that's a challenge. Uh, the pace of career advancement, the pace at which somebody's ready to be a parent, the pace uh, you know, of, of, of which somebody's ready to make a lifetime commitment, uh, the pace at which an individual is ready to take the relationship to the next level. Here is it? Well, you've got to understand, patience is a decision to pause rather than push. Patience is a decision to pause rather than push. And what love is? Love is patience. And patience, though, is different. And patience isn't a decision. It's an emotion. It's something that you feel, kind of like love. Love is something that you feel. Isn't it interesting? Uh, you can feel love and feel impatient with someone you love. And the feeling of impatience can trump and interfere with those love feelings. Yeah, go on a date. You know, if you're feeling pressured by somebody who claims to love you, that can crush the feelings of love. See, 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 patience isn't natural. Being lazy is natural, yeah. You know, and, and being lazy and docile can mask itself as patience. Don't get me wrong there. But, but whatever pace you have, your, your pace is natural. And your pace is the pace which others should be judged, right? No. 
So you think he's impatient and he thinks you're slow. But love is expressed through patience. And what love does is love defers to the pace of another. Come on, I'll say that again. Love defers to the pace of another. Come on, all those people who are pushing. Come on, love defers to the pace of another. Love creates and allows for as much space and time and margin as the other person needs. Love does not force. Love never says, if you love me, you'll step it up. Love never says that. Love says, because I love you, I'll gear it down. I'll move at your pace. Patience is simply putting the other person first. Patience is an expression of submission. It's your pace, not mine. Remember, this is not a task list for someone else. Some of you are going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Remember, we're working on us. So, so what is love? Love is, love is patient. Next one is love is, love is kind. Love is patient, love is kind. Kindness. You know, it feels soft and weak and sloppy, but it's not. Kindness, to be kind, here's a definition of kindness, is to leverage one's strength for the benefit of another. Is to leverage one's strength for the benefit of another. Uh, when we are kind, we put our strengths and our abilities and our resources on loan to someone who lacks them. When you're kind, you, you put you at someone else's disposal. That's, that's why kindness is powerful. You know, if you're looking for someone, look for someone who's kind. And kindness, guess what? Like patience is a decision. It's a decision to do for others what they cannot do in the moment for themselves. Kindness in its purest form is unconditional. Kindness is love's response to weakness. It's love's response to so we can say we all have weakness in us. None of us have got it all together. Not, none of us are so gifted that we don't need the other people around us. And, and kindness is love's response to the weakness in another person's life. Kindness is perhaps the most important component, uh, component in a romantic relationship. <coughs> you know, how's that? Well, unkindness kills romance. You know, just have somebody be mean, say something nasty. I mean, no, that's going to kill romance right there. A small dose of unkindness will kill romance in a second. And a lack of kindness will destroy relationships. Here's the deal. Everybody knows how to be kind. When kindness has a potential reward attached to it. Everyone's kind on the first date. Well, if they're not, you're going out with a psycho. Uh, come on, everybody's kind on the first date. If they're not, run, get out of there. Ring the police. No. Uh, and come on, everyone's kind when there's something to gain. Everyone's kind. Uh, the question you need, uh, need to answer is, what is your natural response to weakness in the people closest to you? Do you lean in or do you power up? Do you loan your strength? Or do you expect people to match your strength? 
singles, come on. And looking for the right one and looking for a person. Take note how someone, that someone responds to the perceived weakness in another. Take, take notice. Because eventually they will perceive weakness in you. And people who use kindness as a means to an end are often mean in the end. They'll, they'll be mean in the end. And, and you've got to look at it. You know, if you're around somebody and they're critical and judgmental of everybody else but you, as I said last week, soon the bullseye will be on your head. And you've got to look at it. Love is kind. So love is what? Love is patient. Love is kind. And, just, and these three, for the sake of time, we're going to go through and these uh, combinations. Love does not. Love does not. What is it? Do not. It does not envy. It does not boast. And is not proud. Yeah, you know, he, he groups these together because they're all related, or they're all expressions of insecurity. And, and when they surface in a relationship, they're ugly and they're petty and they're destructive. Envy, boasting, pride. You know what do they do? They they undermine the foundations of a relationship. And they're often expressed through, through sarcasm and criticism and public dis, disrespect. But what you've got to understand about envy is, is envy is not a relationship problem. It's, it's one of those problems that can be smuggled into a relationship. You see, if you don't feel good about yourself, what you'll do is you won't let others feel good about themselves. You know, growing up, I've told my daughters, you know, when they say something nasty to each other, don't worry, it's not about you. It's, not, it's really not about you. They're only saying something nasty to you because they don't feel good about themselves. That's, that's the only reason they're doing it. Just shake it off and walk away. You know, I wonder how many of us could just be a little bit more robust when somebody says something nasty and just go, it's not about me. The only reason you're like that is because you don't like yourself. You know, counselors have, have often said, and in fact, I was talking to a counselor uh, who'd been in counsel, uh, counseling for 30 years, and they said, you know, well, you know, an abusive man is, is first a man who doesn't like himself. He hates himself, and the reason he does what he does and expresses that is, is it really comes from a place of self-hate. And until that's dealt with, they, you can never move forward. And, and, and so it's like, since I can't pull myself up, I'll find ways to drag you down. Wow. Come on, that's how envy works. And it happens in a lot of relationships. It's like, oh, you, you're going forward. Well, you know, I can't amount to that. So, so I don't want to feel bad about myself. So I'm going to pull you down to my level. That's why some of your mates invite you drinking. Come out, you know, you think they're friends, but they just want you to bring you down to their level so that they can feel good about themselves. Because if you start sorting your life out, getting vision and getting direction, you know, that's going to expose them. It's going to leave them without an excuse. You know, that's why I try this, go out with that. You know, it's, it's like it's all trying to bring things down rather than lift people up. Here's the challenge. Pay careful attention to your internal reaction to the success of those closest to you. Because your success, the success of others will reveal whether you got envy in your heart. Do you celebrate or denigrate? 
what's your initial response when, when somebody around you succeeds? Are you trying to pull them down? Do you, do you add to or do you subtract? Come on, are, are you comfortable to allow the spotlight to remain on other people? Uh, or do, do you find yourself scrambling for a way to get, direct the attention back to yourself? Because that's not love. Love does not envy. Here, here's the thing with envy. Envy is impossible to see in the mirror. But if you pay attention, you may see it mirrored in your relationships. If you do, rest assured, it's your issue. And you need to own it to dethrone it. You need to own it, own it. This is my issue. And it's gone real quiet in here. Because I know this is a big thing in society. You know, these groups, one tries to, to make headway, go forward, and it's amazing how the gravitational pull of society is always trying to pull people back. Come on, you're from the hood. Who do you think you are doing that? You know what? You know, what makes you think you can do that? And it's just like, nah, you're just like me. And, and there's, this, there's this pull that tries to hold you back from what God has for your life. The best way to deal with envy issues is to d- deny the impulse to criticize. Deny the impulse to grab the spotlight. The best way to overcome this is learn to celebrate. You know, not even to stay neutral and just bite your tongue. It's actually to go about blessing people, celebrating people, encouraging people. Some of us sometimes just bite our tongue. No, but, but to go around, you know, sometimes you hear a story and the challenge is when you hear a good story is, is for you to come up with a better story. Come on, ever been in a situation where somebody's telling a good story? They're telling a good story, and you go, I've got a better story. You know, love is just sometimes to shut your mouth and go, man, that's awesome, and not one-up them. You, you shouldn't one-up them. Oh, but did you hear what's happening over here? Come on, there, there, there's a pull. Love does not envy. And face it, if you don't feel good about yourself, criticizing somebody else isn't going to fix that. And sarcasm is not a strategy for self-improvement. It's not a strategy. Tearing somebody out down doesn't build you up. Stop it. I just want to say, stop it. It's not helping you. It's not helping your relationship. It's not endearing. It's a repellent. It's not a cologne. It's a repellent. Stop competing. All right. Got that out of the way. <laughs> Some of you are not smiling at me. No. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Love, love does not envy. It does not boast. Love is not proud. If we could have the musicians up. It's not proud. Pride keeps us from celebrating what others have accomplished. Pride is what causes us to keep our mouth shut when we should be pouring our praise. You, know, I want, you want to know what love is? You know, there's that song. I want to know what love <laughs> And I want you to. <laughs> Come on, sing it up.
you? Somebody's just making up a new verse right there. Love is patient. Was that you, Cooper, again? Oh, man. You're on fire. Now, th this world is, is looking for love. It's looking in, in many places, but it's getting wrong definitions. Hollywood doesn't know what love is. What you see on TV, that's not love. The problem is, the world says, well, if you go after that, that's what you're going to feel. Yeah, you may have a moment, but then you go away from that moment with hurt and pain. And you even get disillusioned. People today, you know, even a little bit cynical when it comes to marriage. Because I've seen people supposedly make commitments and, and then everything blow up come from a broken family. Sometimes you're the fallout from that and you think, oh, can a relationship really work? Is there real, is there real love? Is there real love in this thing? And we get scarred and we get bruised. But we need to come back to the author of love. We need to come back to God. We need to come back to what Jesus did because he showed us love. He didn't just talk about love. He demonstrated love. He demonstrated his love towards us that while we were still in our sin, he died for us. He had earlier said there's no greater love than somebody who lays down their life for their friend. And then he gave demonstration to it. That's why the gospel is so powerful because it's not just a whole lot of made up ideas. There, there was a demonstration. There was an outworking. A lot of people today have got ideas, but if they are, when they outwork those ideas, there's, there's no life. There's no freedom. In fact, there's just pain and bondage and scars. I often say the proof's in the pudding. You take these things, you begin to outwork them. You get two people committed to living by this. You watch what will happen. You have a relationship that's rich, a relationship that's rewarding. You know, people can come to church today and you know they can find one another in church. And at the start, God's at the center of it, but the challenge is, is for a marriage to keep moving forward, is to keep God at the center of it. To keep God central because without Him, we're prone to pulling apart. Without Him, we're selfish. Come on, don't look at me like you've never been selfish. But knowing God, you know, the Holy Spirit comes in you, you, you do something that's selfish and, 
And conviction comes into your heart and you go, man, I actually need to go back and say sorry. I need to take ownership of my actions. And I need to ask God for forgiveness, but also need to ask my spouse for forgiveness. And, and you know, then there's this reconciling that takes place because humility is there. And we have this humility, it's like it attracts God's grace and boom, something beautiful takes place. Now that's why I get sad when, when couples, you know, they find one another, then they stop coming to church. Stop coming to church and they don't realize the damage they're doing. You know, often they go away and then they hit relational problems and, and suddenly it's like, oh, I need to call out to God. Well, you wouldn't have had those problems if you just stayed connected to God and, you know, couples get together, you know, they get married and then they have kids and next minute, you know, they're a kid's sports game but they're never in the house of God and, and, and then, you know, the kids don't know God and, you know, the, they're just not in an environment where, where, where humility is, is, is taught about on a regular basis. Where the challenge is to lay down your life. How many know life doesn't work when we do it our own way? It just doesn't work. You know, many people got ideas of what they do, but it just doesn't work when you do it your own way. You give your life to God, you commit your life to God. It's amazing how things begin to work. And God's grace comes in the middle. And you experience the life that He intended you to live. Come on, God's got an amazing plan for your life. Come on, He's got an amazing relational future for each and every person in this place. Here, it doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what you've done. Come on, you can make a decision today. This is a new day in Jesus. And from now on, I'm not going to trust my, my way of doing things. I'm going to put my trust in Him. And I'm going to embrace His definition of love. His definition of love.